So we are now re here again live and um, welcome to Move a Podcast. We are today, I'm welcoming Andrew Carrigan of the Carrigan Residential Group. And Andrew, it's a real pleasure to have you on our program as one of the, gee, I'd say probably the most high, one of the highest profile, high end real estate agents in Southern California. It's really great to have your feedback, really great to hear from you regarding what is happening in the market, uh, at least in Southern California, what you're seeing and um, some feedback for our guests as it relates to their experiences and what they have to prepare for out in the world of real estate these days. It's a pleasure to join you, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, fabulous. So I'll start a little bit, Andrew, just some, we get to a little bit of the start of our program. We go into just some personal questions to try and get an idea of yourself and a little bit of your upbringing. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, I actually grew up in the Midwest part of the United States in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, a suburb called Edina. Minnesota, which is, you know, it's a nice, nice place to grow up, a nice place uh, for families and, uh, you know, very serene and pleasant, mm -hmm. and, uh, what people think of, it, of the Midwest. People are very nice. Um, so I grew up there, went to high school there and decided for college and so on that I would, I would venture further out. And that's when I decided to apply out of state and ended up going to uh, college at University of California, Berkeley. Oh, okay. Back, just just for a quick second, I'll tell you that I I grew up in a uh, a household that uh, with a mother from Athens, Greece, and huh. dad's parents from Greece. And so, if you've ever seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, yeah, <laughs> that that's actually my cousin that wrote, started, and directed that movie. That's just a fun side note. Really, <laughs> my I've cousin learned something you know, every Europe. day. I never knew that. Oh yeah, how about that? So yeah, she's from Winnipeg in Manitoba, which is the province directly above Minnesota in that, you know, north, north part of the world. And so, yeah, her family there. And, and, you know, so if you see that movie, the whole point of it is that was pretty much my upbringing as well. That movie. Oh, that's amazing. That was a really well-known, that was a very famous movie. I would, I was in Australia at the time of that movie, but I remember it really, it was very popular. It was really, well, really popular. In Australia, I'm sure it was very popular in Australia. Yeah. Uh, I know Nia had traveled down there and did a press tour and so forth. So um, yeah, quite well known. But, but yeah, the, really, that was just a really fine example of my upbringing. Everything was revolving the, you know, the Greek community, the Greek church, Greek food, uh -huh. learning, going to Greek school and, you know, going to church and assisting the priest as an altar boy. That was just kind of, normal to us and wow. you know greek weddings and funerals and parties and greek cookies and all that oh classic that's very interesting so yeah. you must have gone on and this is off topic a little bit i imagine you've made several trips to greece since your yeah, child when i was when i was younger my mother as i say was born in athens and um her mother moved back to greece in um gosh quite quite a long time ago and lived in Athens where she originally came from and near all her family right in central Athens. And I went for quite a few summers to uh, Greece and we would go to Athens and stay. And then we'd always take these little trips to the islands. And no. so I, from a young age, I was able to start 
really going. And to me, you know, I didn't appreciate it as much because that was just sort of what we did. Yeah. Um, got, got to the point where I was like, when am I going to go to some other countries? I want to go to other places too. And I did. Yeah. It kind of took a lot, probably a decade of traveling everywhere else. And then I was realizing, wow, Greece is so wonderful. And I wanted to go back and did it as well. Yeah, so I've yeah, made, but it was a great That's a great spot. I've had some trips there myself. I went to Crete and Heraklion and I didn't get to go to Athens, but I did do the Greek islands and uh, yeah, they were very special. And I had great Greek friends myself. So it was kind of an mm. interesting, their culture really very, uh, very well liked in Australia too. So it was really cool to um, fun culture. Great. Mm. Great so, food. From there, so from Minnesota, you've, uh, you, you've had this very interesting background with uh, family members in the film industry. Because, uh, oh, yeah. That's, a, that's another whole segue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just, yeah, coincidentally, my brother-in-law produced one of my cousin's movies well before yeah. my sister even met, met her, met, you know, met him. Oh, really? It's kind of a small world as well. That is a small world. Yeah, so she, in, fact, in fact, you're going to enjoy this. Um, Nia, my cousin Nia, started a movie years ago before, I think it was before my Big Fat Greek Wedding. Mm -hmm. It was with Tony Collette. It was one of Tony Collette's first movies. Oh, really? Vancouver. And they both played women who needed a job. And the only job they could find were to be drag queens. So they had to pretend like they were men who dressed up like women. That was the whole premise of the story. Kind of a little funny story. Uh, <laughs> So they were performing at some drag show club in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, nobody knew that they were really women. They thought they were men who dressed up like women. It's just crazy. Oh, that's classic. And that's because your sister. Nick Harris went and his wife, Athena, went and they flew to Vancouver and they played extras in the movie. Wow. And that was just <laughs> his brother-in-law actually that. produced that movie. But well before he met my sister. So just... A funny small world, but yeah. But your so, so your sister Mia was was there, and it was your brother-in-law produced it. Well, my cousin Mia was there. My cousin, cousin Mia, sorry, okay. wedding starred in the movie yeah. with Tony Collette, and okay. then he happened to be the producer when he owned um, Spyglass Films. Okay, I'm, he was the owner of that film company that did it, and yeah, so um, small world. What a small world indeed. So, yeah. what made you? choose to you had this very interesting upbringing from the midwest to uh, a background with greek background and greek relatives to film industry background and then moving to uh you said to uc berkeley um, yes went to university of california berkeley in northern california and um, great school hard school and i was very honored to get in um the high school I went to in Edina, Minnesota, Edina High School was ranked, you know, at the time, you know, in the top 10 high schools in the United States. So I think right. that probably helped a bit, you know, just to kind of getting into the school, but, you know, grades and working hard. But anyway, it was just good and went to California. And um, one thing I realized from having learned Greek as my first language in the house and learning Greek, it was a great basis, great base point for picking up other Romance languages. So I was able to pick up Spanish, Italian, French. Whoa. Portuguese very easily. Can't they really came along very easily? Yeah, you've got yeah. a you've got a natural track for it. I've had a couple of friend one friend that has done that very well, but I, I think that's pretty amazing to be able to have so many languages and you get to good. use them all. 
right? Well, well then, I don't know yeah. about Greek as much, but definitely yeah. Spanish you'd be using. Right? Oh, Spanish and French. I, I studied, so I studied undergrad at Berkeley. I did do this semester abroad in, in France at the Université de Nice in the south of France, which was great. And then for my MBA, I went to Oxford in the UK for the MBA. And the first part of the program for several months was in England. And then I went to Belgium and finished at Management Center Europe in Brussels, where of course they spoke French. Uh -huh. So uh, three different countries, which was a great opportunity and loved it. And that helped me segue into what I wanted to do with the rest of my life or a lot of my life. And that would be to do international business. And I ended up getting into technology in the early days of technology and became international sales manager in one company, computer company, and then global accounts manager at another computer company. And what did I do? I traveled a lot. I traveled oh. mainly to Scandinavia, to Brazil, to um, Australia, New Zealand. I did a lot of travel and um, for those companies until I fell into real estate. But so you had a travel bug going with you all the way with this a little bit. There's a little bit of a travel bug having you're going to Berkeley just across from the Midwest and then having your Greek relatives. I'm guessing a bit of a travel bug taking you to Oxford, which would have been a really interesting, all very eye-opening experiences and then getting across to Belgium. You've really had some worldly experiences there and meeting, meeting people from such diverse the diverse cultures um, yeah, yeah, people from all over the world there and it was a great program and um, the MBA program was a very international program and it, you know it was a great opportunity so and then that, that just really you know drew me into the international business world um, mm -hmm. a natural segue yeah no, very interesting so the with international business and then doing computing uh, technology. What were you doing in terms of computing where you were traveling all, to all these places? So we're selling computer hardware and components. Oh, okay. It got to the point where it was primarily to the mobile phone industry. Some, some uh -huh. accounts were Ericsson in Sweden, uh, Nokia, Finland, Motorola, Scotland. Those are some of the bigger accounts I had at the time. So we would sell to the manufacturers and the subcontractors of those manufacturers so they them kind of dispersed throughout scandinavia so i was in these very interesting sort of small towns in northern sweden and, and in mm. finland and uh it was in iceland and i, I it was yeah i stone i went to estonia this is wow. like it was really interesting. It was good. Yeah, it sure would be, especially the time of year that you were there. Were you in the summertime in Sweden and Finland, or was that I've winter? been all times of year there. I've been in the middle of hard, middle of winter there. I've been in, you know, all summer where midnight sun. I kind of got to see it all, so it was great. Yeah, that's a fabulous experience, and what a, a company would have been a fabulous segue to learning about people and and uh, and uh, business as well in terms of operations. How did that get you into real estate? How did you fall into real estate from uh, well, the hardware and components yeah, I mean, of computing? I sort of, you know. Came to Southern California, I was working, and the, one of the first things I did was to, was my goal to buy myself a property. Mm -hmm. so I bought myself a property to live in, and because I knew I wanted to have investments, and um, I did. And then, you know, as I moved along and did well and tried to do well in my business, I would always put money aside to try to buy 
another property and another property. And I did. So I was investing myself as an investor. And then I picked up a real estate license, California real estate license. And I, I also bought some properties in Las Vegas, but mainly in, in uh, the Newport Beach uh, area, Southern California. And so I picked up some properties my, myself. And then one day a friend told me that they had a friend who wanted to sell their home in Orange County and said, well, I told him all about you. And, and as you know, to sell your house. And I, I kind of thought, well, I've never even done that. <laughs> you know, I didn't really work for anybody and I just had my license, but I didn't really. So I went and met these uh, two gentlemen who owned this house. And the first thing they said when they got, when I came to the door, I called them and I came to the door. They said, well, just so you know, we've kind of already verbally told somebody else that we're going to list our house with them. Huh. And that, you know, having the competitive spirit, I said, well, you know, I still would like to have an opportunity to, to demonstrate what I'm able to offer you and talk to you and, and mm -hmm. so forth. And may I see your home? And so they let me in. We did a tour of the home and I sat and chat with them. And then I said, why don't we take a walk around the neighborhood? We walked around the neighborhood and I was there a good two, three hours and really putting all my energies into it. And they, I think they picked up on that. And so then mm -hmm. from there they kind of looked at each other and said, well, they kind of really decided right there on the spot. I think this, this guy, we're going to, we want to use him. So I love wow. there. And then that died. Uh, I a lot of blank contract. I'd never even filled one out before. And I filled it out and I didn't even have a sign. I had to go run to uh, I had my license signed with Prudential at the time. And I, I had to go pick up a generic sign and tape my name and phone number on the top of the sign. <laughs> and I stuck the sign out front. And I sold that property at full price, full 6% commission. I found the buyer, sold it in three days. Oh my God. And it was like one of those, I thought, is it beginner's luck or what is it? But I sold it and that was the bug that bit. I never intended yep. ever to become a real estate agent or realtor. And I, I just thought, you know, I could do this. I mean, I think I'd been working in technology and working these strange hours when I mm -hmm. national and you're living in California, everything is sort of like nine or 10 hours ahead or nine or 10 hours behind. Mm -hmm. And I was up at these very odd hours constantly on a, on a, on, you know, almost every day of the week. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I think I was getting a little burnt out yep. looking for possible change or I was ready or in the, when this sort of happened, it was like the light bulb went off and I thought, can do this. Maybe I'll enjoy this. Let me try. And I, I just went in with to Prudential California Realty and I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go full time, get the, get the proper signage and the trainings of all the contracts and let's do it. So I did it and never turned back. Yeah. That's quite an amazing story. You remember, so where in Orange County was this property located? It was in Costa Mesa, California. Wow. I don't think I've seen those guys since. I think uh, one, of, one of them moved to out of state and became a mailman somewhere. <laughs> what happened to the other one? But I think they broke up. I don't know. <laughs> that's, the, that's an amazing yeah, story. Yeah, so anyway, such as it is. And there's the rush, and now you're doing it and loving it, and you've been loving it ever since and never turned yeah. back. And taking the wild ride. It's really been a wild ride. You learn so much, and you learn so much obviously that you don't learn in school and you learn mm -hmm. so much about people and the nuances and their 
idiosyncrasies and all the things that you really have to learn to gauge and, you know, just work with people. And yeah. yeah and your traveling in the early days would have helped with that. I imagine a lot getting that very diverse travel background and people background you'd, that would have helped with dealing the, with all the different what, what, characters. Yes. I'll give you a prime example of that. If we have time, I, yeah. I, when in my early days, how did I pick up clients? I would always do open houses or what do you call them in Australia? Show homes. I would do yeah. that every single weekend, both Saturday and Sunday for probably three or four hours, you know, every day or every weekend, both days, just to really, cause I thought I have to do it, be disciplined. Yeah. You know, everyone else was going to the beach. I would go do my open houses. And so I would sit there and I put my, I put so many signs out. I love the exposure of my name out there in the neighborhoods and I would work other people's open houses. I did everything I could to just always make sure I was on the front line, so to speak, every single weekend. Man, so I remember specifically I was at a condo, a townhome in Newport coast. I think, yeah, it was my own listing and some people walked in the door and they looked, they didn't look very friendly. <laughs> they yeah. just are used to, you know, when people are a little friendly and these people yep. are a little bit, they didn't look very approachable. So they came in and of course it's my job to connect with people and I only have a very short time to do so. And I greeted them and as soon as they said, said, hello, how are you, welcome. They spoke and I, could de I detected a Slavic accent and I was really good at picking up, I could determine pretty much any accent anywhere because I'm working all over the world. Yep. So I said, oh, where are you from? My typical opening line, where are you from? And I think the husband just looked at me with this very sort of unfriendly face. And he mm -hmm. goes, Bulgaria. I am from, we are from Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, have you been to Varna, Bulgaria? And he looked at me and he, he said, Varna? How do you know Varna? I said, because Varna is on the Black Sea and all my relatives from Greece would go there on their cheap summer holiday. That was sort of, you know, instead of summer, huh? Where they would go north of the border on the Black Sea and they would be their inexpensive summer holiday. And, and he goes, you're Greek? I said, like, we're cousins, right? And in Bulgaria, yeah. they're the same religion. They're North, Eastern Orthodox. I said, yeah. And as soon as I, he knew that I'd been to Varna, Bulgaria, I'd been to his country and I was Greek, his cousins. I mean, you should, I mean, they, they I, like captive audience, I got them. I mean, they completely yeah. went from being really unfriendly to not wanting to speak to I got them as a client. I sold them another, not that house, but I sold them something else, I think, two or three months later. Yeah, so, you turned it around. That's pretty see? impressive. So just from having to have been Varna, Bulgaria, that won me a client. Yeah, that, well, that background, the background, yeah. having something in common there is very important. The common denominator is yep. very important. Yes, always finding a common. And you only, as I say, you only have a short time to figure it out. Yeah. You know, 20 seconds, one minute, just talking at what can you figure out by asking two or three simple questions and mm. clicking. So how did you, so there's the start of Andrew Carrigan's real estate beginnings. And then mm. you've got Carrigan residential group, which is part of Douglas Elliman. Can you tell us a little bit how that works and for the layman that doesn't understand the intricacies of these um, setups with residential real estate? Certainly. So um, 
you know, in the early days, I was just an independent realtor. Mm-hmm. And, and as I started to, you know, grow and, and develop my name and develop business, it got to the point where I wanted to expand a bit mm-hmm. and have work with others within a group that I started. So I incorporated, I became a, an actual, you know, corporation as Kerrigan mm-hmm. Residential Inc., and incorporated. So it was just my own firm. And at that point too, I could have gone off and started my own independent brokerage, but I learned from an early, early days that it's always better. I feel to be tied into a much bigger organization where you can capitalize their marketing, their resources. So the best of both worlds, when I work, I could brand myself, I have my own logo, but then I dual branding with a much more well-known worldwide brand, Douglas Elliman, based out of New York City and Beverly Hills, tied in with Knight Frank, mm-hmm. in London, and just, you know, having that, I, I, I came from an international so background, so it was just great to have, again, the worldwide capabilities where I could say, we sell in 60 countries and six continents. I love saying that. <laughs> a one-man show or a small group of five people, yeah. I'd rather, you know, have that. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it gives people confidence as well. And we're able to, you know, sellers were saying, Hey, we can, we can, you know, list your property for sale. People in China, people in London, people in South Africa will be seeing this house in Australia because we're in the market there. We know how to do it. And with the sales of your homes these days, have you, have you seen people from all over the globe? buying oh, yes. so uh, particularly in southern california i'm imagining everything right well in particular in newport coast where i live and do i say is the core of my business not everywhere but you know you, you we have the pelican hill resort here which is yep. quite you know high-end um yes. shelf type property and that has attracted a lot of people from all over the world a lot of people from dubai a lot of people yes. from europe and so they've come here and seen what we call the california riviera yeah. and, wow i think I don't want to just come here for, you know, a week or two. I want to buy a second home here. Yep. So I've had people who say, how far are you from Pelican Hill Resort? Can you find me a townhome or a small home that I can use as a vacation home from Dubai or from New York or Connecticut or London or Sydney? And yeah, so it works. And uh, that's what we get a lot of too. Uh, that's yeah. That's a pretty pretty special experience. Very interesting experience that you're having doing all this. Truly, yeah, truly, it is it is gratifying. And so I'm going to ask a little bit for our customers, some our customers that are thinking of moving and thinking about how they prepare to move home, and what do it. I guess one of the questions we have, and I'd be interested, you're on that front line. At what point in the sale or the sales cycle do you see your customers or clients making their plans to move or deciding that this is a time we need to start looking around and preparing for our move and looking for the right movers to hire, et cetera? You know, I think that um, during this, this sales process, of course, people are already starting to think about um, minimizing what's in their home and decluttering, mm-hmm. and what are they going to do with that stuff? Are they going to keep it with them and take it to their next residence, or are they going to get rid of it? So that's part of the process. And then what they're going to keep 
they might store in their garage or even take a storage unit while they're waiting to sell because in case they're moving to a bigger home, they'll have room for it. Um, so I think it happens both during the process of selling the home, but for cer certainly right as we're going into escrow because obviously then they'll have a limited amount of time before they have to vacate the home. So generally that's 30 to 45 days. Now, they really cannot do a lot uh, logistically until we've removed what are called all contingencies. The home is mm -hmm. contingent upon an inspection, an appraisal, nor a, um, a loan. And mm -hmm. once those contingencies are removed, there's no more, nothing is contingent. And they are, the deal is locked in, the 3% deposit of the buyer is locked in. It goes hard, so to speak, and they can now start spending money. They can start mm -hmm. putting the down and uh, you know whatever they need to do to plan their move. Yeah, that's, that, that's really how it works. quite a quite a process. That's very helpful to know about. So, with your selling uh, of the homes that you you sell, I know you get to sell them in quite a broad range. And Newport Beach is your backyard I would say so to speak what markets are you selling homes in uh, now are they all it's all uh, within Southern California or what would you say well, would you yeah I would say the majority of the homes are, I mean, that I actually sell are in all of them are right now in Southern California however I am marketing some properties uh, outside of the Southern California region I actually have three luxury villas in Greece that I'm wow right now that are gorgeous i mean really stunning properties in mm -hmm. near not far from athens um so that but that's not that's more the exception not the rule but what yep. we really sell is southern california i currently have you know several listings of my own i have uh, a beautiful very special listing in la jolla right now so out of orange county in la jolla mm -hmm. that's listed at 25 million no yeah. kidding we have that in escrow, so we are. Wow, congratulations. Thank you, that's-, that's So this is a man. very interesting, I'm sorry to change and ask a question because a $25 million home, very high-end home here. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us, usually from what I hear, that these types of properties typically are on the market for a much longer time than your standard, than, than say even the, the mid-level homes in the one to $5 million range, um, you would see it usually, I, I, I believe, that these homes had been sitting on the market longer. Is that the case or has that changed a little bit? I'll tell you what, Andrew, this is absolutely the opposite for the sum. We did not even put this home on the public market yet. Wow. Um, we had to get it on the MLS just literally through some behind the scenes marketing efforts through our firm uh, and uh, some word of mouth marketing efforts, we were able to sell it to a very, very prominent cash buyer. Uh, as I say, it never, and just in a matter of, gosh, probably less than 30 days. Wow. You know, we were able to, to secure a buyer. So yeah, and again, that's not always the case. Sometimes there are, it can take some time uh, to find the right buyer for you know a little more specialized high-end home so mm -hmm. maybe we got lucky we were just tried to be strategic in our yeah. market but we were we didn't even have the luxury of putting it on the mls to really expand our marketing capabilities we 
we sort of, per the seller's request, they asked to keep it off the market due to some privacy uh, preferences. So we did that and avoided having to, you know, go real public with it. And it certainly made the sellers a lot, very, very happy too. So Yeah, that's a, a very impressive. And so yeah. it would have been very happy with the sellers getting it, everything done so quickly. I think they're quite pleased, yes. Yeah. Now, that's such a high price tag there. Do you see many properties in the in this region? This a lot of people outside of Southern California and other parts of the uh, of the state. Do you see a lot of homes in this price range? That's still very high well, price range. Yeah. So I'll tell you about that area. For example, Bill Gates just you know, within the past few months bought a forty-two million dollar home in Del Mar, which is the suburb right next to. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the ocean. And I think it was quite a large property for about 42. And then the singer Alicia Keys bought a uh, home in La Jolla. I think it was about 21 million, probably, mm-hmm. I don't know, last year. So you, uh, you get, you know, Vera Wang, the designer lives down the street. You, you get some, you know, people who are wanting to get out of LA, I think, especially now they're kind mm-hmm. of seeing out these more beautiful areas that mm-hmm. are peaceful, gorgeous coastal areas and, you know, getting even beyond the typical LA area, Malibu, everyone thinks of Malibu is like, you know, the, the area people go to when they want to get out. But I think Malibu has gotten a little crazy with right. traffic and maybe in, some insecurity of the, you know, being in an urban area. So people are seeking out places like Santa Barbara, Montecito, Carmel, La Jolla, um, you know, uh, Laguna Beach in Orange mm-hmm. County. Places like this, Crystal Cove. That's fabulous. That's a quite a. That's quite amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. Yeah, it, it truly is. So, it, the one last question has been fabulous. We've got a lot. I've got so many questions I can think of right now, but we want to. We are going to do, hopefully do a follow up with you and ask some others once uh, some of our viewers come back with other questions they'd like to know. But can you tell us in the the recent months, I'm saying, let's say the last nine months, are there, can, can you think of any, what you might consider the most significant changes you've noticed, uh, specifically as it relates to the sale of homes in California or Southern California, where you are? I would, I would say the most significant change is that obviously that's been the majority of the time that we've had this unfortunate virus that's affected yes. the world. And I would say that quite contrary to everyone's thoughts of what things were going to be, just the opposite happened. I think the coronavirus was probably the best advertisement for the National Association of Realtors that they've seen in a long time. It put such an emphasis on harboring in the home and the emphasis of the home and living in an environment that all of a sudden, and I think people being stuck in their home and just sort of being online. And I think all of a sudden everyone's focused on homes and nice home. And then if they're not happy where they are or feeling somewhat insecure due to the pandemic or due to the rioting or whatever has been going on, um, have wanted to move and be in, seek out nicer homes. And one of the reasons, the pandemic has also caused a lot of people to not want to sell because they don't want to move. So those that do, um, they, there's been less inventory and it's caused uh, the market, the market prices to go up oh, wow. in demand. So less supply 
more demand and prices go up. So I think that's been probably one of the most significant changes I've seen over the past, you know, eight, nine months. Incredible. Andrew, there's so much here. This has been a real eye opener for myself. And I hope, I believe it's going to be an eye opener for all our listeners with what is happening in Southern California, your background, how you ended up where you are. Um, so thank you uh, very much for coming on our program to today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Find us on Instagram at Mover Inc. That's M-U-V-A-I-N-C. You can also reach out to Andrew Carrigan at carriganresidential.com. That's K-A-R-I-G-A-N residential.com. Until then, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. Um.